Our subject for this evening, Can God Feel My Pain? Can God Feel My Pain? I am quite sure you have heard people say in time past, you don't understand. It could have been your friend or a blood relative, you don't understand. In my counseling in churches, in my counseling at the medical school where I worked for a while, I have heard students say to me, you don't understand. And a counselor hates to hear that because all counselors like to believe they understand. But I have heard that. You don't understand. And when that is said as human beings, we have to acknowledge the severe limitations of our abilities. But we cannot say that to God even though we say it by our action, by our behavior, and by the attitudes we adopt to God's promises and His assurances contained in His glorious Word. God always understands, and tonight, the point, the theme, the thrust of our message is explain why it is that God always understands the torments, the trials, the tribulations that beset this earthly path that we all have to tread. When God contemplated, along with the other members of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the creation of what we know as heaven and earth, with man at the center of the earth, God had to devise a way of rescuing this created being if he sinned. The plan that was eventually perfected was that one of the three members of the Godhead would come down and pay the penalty for mankind's catastrophe. Now, in no other religious system do you find a high, holy, lifted up God condescending to come down and be just like those who have sinned and consequently hate him. That was a plan. One of the members of the Godhead would come down and die after first living as a human being. But this presented two mountainous obstacles. There were, one, God cannot be tempted, and two, God cannot die. In order for one of the members of the Godhead to come down and be the sacrifice, the substitute to die in man's place, these two hurdles had to be gotten around somehow. And God found a way. As we continue with, can God feel my pain? God found a way. And the way he devised... That one of the members of the Godhead and the person identified was the second member of the Godhead, not yet called Jesus Christ, but we'll still call him Jesus Christ. He would come as one of us. Meaning, he had to come in a way, in a fashion, that allowed him to feel temptation. And he had to come in a way that made him susceptible to death. 
Now, it had already been shown that Jesus was powerful, the second member of the Godhead. Because there was a creature in heaven called Lucifer, made by Christ himself. We're told in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 15, that thou was perfect in all thy ways from the day thou was created. Lucifer, the highest being ever created. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and then Lucifer. Powerful. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. We're told in Ezekiel 28. He was enraged because he was not invited to be a part of the planning for the creation of the world and mankind. And uh, in some mysterious way, he became corrupted and he led a rebellion against the government of God. You can read about that rebellion in Isaiah chapter 14 from verse 12 down to the end of that chapter. Ezekiel 28 from about verse 11 and Revelation 12 verse 7 through 9. And of course also John chapter 8 verse 4. He led a rebellion. Now the Bible says in Revelation 12, reading from verse uh, 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. We have an account of the outcome of that battle, Lucifer, by then called Satan, was defeated by Jesus Christ, this second member of the Godhead who would subsequently come and die for us. So it was already demonstrated in heaven that Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, as the second member of the Godhead, could take on Satan and win. But it had yet to be proved, could he, as a human being, take on Satan and win? He took him on, just as God. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to remind the 70 disciples when they returned from mission trip. Luke 10, 17, the Bible says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Verse 18, Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus remembered that struggle, that battle, and Satan was cast out because of pride, and he was cautioning his disciples. There was war in heaven, and Jesus, at the head of the heavenly armies, he prevailed, but he prevailed purely as God. And the question still remain, could he take on human form, confront the devil, and overcome? Two problems had to be solved, I say. God cannot be tempted. God cannot die. In James chapter 1, reading from verse 13, James chapter 1, I will give you some time to find that verse. Reading from verse 13, and for public reading I use the King James Version. While you're finding it, how many are here for the first time? Can I see your hand? God bless you. God bless you. How many have not missed one meeting so far? Can I see your hand? God bless you. God bless you. James 1, reading from verse 13, Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. The Bible is clear. God does not tempt people and God cannot be tempted. And we said this morning or earlier today, when the Bible talks of God tempting people, what it means is God testing people. Not tempting them. And so we read in the Genesis 22 verse 1, After these things it came to pass that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the mount of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. God was testing Abraham, not tempting him. Is that clear? If it's clear, say amen. God does not tempt people. Second obstacle of course, Jesus Christ being God, he could not die. Let's establish that Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. Let's go to John chapter 10. We shall read from verse 30. As we continue, can God feel my pain? John chapter 10, reading verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and that because that thou being a man makest thyself God. The Jews understood that when Jesus said in verse 30, I and my father are one, he was equating himself with deity. And they didn't like that. That wasn't the only occasion in John chapter 5, reading from verse 17. John 5, reading from verse 17, as we continue, Can God feel my pain? But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I, wor and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also God with his father, making himself equal with God. Here again, they understood that Jesus claimed equality with God. When he came and became human, he did not lose his divinity. But he functioned as a human being, trusting his father and allowing his father to tell him when. That's a life of dependence, which is a model for us. And so the, 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 the solution to the problem was, let Jesus Christ come as a human being. Now Christ had come previously as a human being. But that was not the incarnation. In Genesis 18, the story is told of three men who came to the tent of Abraham. And when Abraham saw them, he ran to meet them. Verse 1 says, bowed himself toward the ground. And invited them into his tent. He said, let a bit of water be fetched to wash your feet, rest yourselves under the trees, and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort to your heart. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said unto him, so do as thou hast said. And in verse 6, the Bible says, Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and bake cakes upon the hearth. And in verse 7, Abraham ran into the hurt and fetched the calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. Now verse 8 tells us, And he took butter and milk and the calf which he addressed, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Now, the three strangers were Jesus Christ and two angels. 
Here we have Jesus assuming human form, eating. And this is no sermon supporting carnivorous, carnivorous behavior. But the fact is, he was served lamb. Butter and milk and whatever other desserts Abraham had, dates. But Christ ate it with the two angels. The Abraham did not know there were divine beings. He thought there were three human beings. It wasn't until in verse 10 that they said to him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent door. In the next verse, uh, God said to him, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Then Abraham began to realize that these were no ordinary men. But the point I am stressing is that he came in human form to the extent that he devoured human food in the presence of a human being who did not realize that he was divine. Now let's skip to Luke chapter 24. Reading from verse 36. Here we have Jesus eating again. This time to prove that he was human, that he was physical. This is after he rose from the grave. Luke 24, reading from verse 36, the Bible says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Jesus is saying, I am physical. When he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish. And of a honeycomb, verse 43 said, And he took it and did eat it before them in their presence, that he might prove that he was physical. He was human, glorified, yes, but still human. So we have a human being eating in Genesis 18. We have a human being eating in Luke chapter 24. But the human being eating in Genesis 18 was not the result of the incarnation. The incarnation took place when Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now how could Jesus be human being in Genesis 18? And that not be an incarnation. Incarnation, which was the process by which Jesus came to live as one of us. That incarnation required that Jesus come through the channel of genetic inheritance. Are you following me? When he came to speak to Abraham, he did not come to suffer temptation. When he came in his mother's womb, he came and he had to inherit the apparatus that rendered him susceptible to temptation, that made him susceptible to death. He inherited that from his fully human mother, Mary. So he came as you and I came, through the womb, with Mary's blood in his veins. So that whatever temptation Mary had to struggle with, it was possible that he could struggle with the same thing because he was of the seed of David, of the seed of Abraham. Jesus came as a human being. Why? To walk in your moccasins. Come on, I need more than one amen. He came to understand 
what you and I go through, the temptations we feel in our body. Jesus came. That's why Peter tells us he bore our sins in his body. This was no fake human being. This is no docetism. It wasn't Jesus appeared to be human. He was human. And one human being ought to understand how another human being feels. Listen to how Paul in Hebrews describes Christ's degree of identification with the human race. Hebrews 2, reading from verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, reading from verse 9. The Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now keep your mind focused on Hebrews 2.9, where we are told that Jesus was made, how? A little lower than the angels. You keep reading Hebrews 2.9, and I will go read Psalm 8.5 for you. I'll read from verse 3 of Psalm 8. Keep your eye on Hebrews 2.9. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou, now you start reading Hebrews 2.9, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. This is a description of how mankind was made. It is precisely the description of how Jesus Christ was made. Somebody say amen. God doesn't do things halfway. If he's coming as a human being, he is coming as a human being. Let's go to verse 11 of Hebrews 2. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. Did you see that? For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now what is there about us that might possibly allow Jesus to be ashamed? Our condition. Our condition. And Jesus came to identify with that condition. And in consequence of that identification, the Bible says he was not ashamed because he came like us. The pot doesn't call the kettle black. And people who live in glass houses do not throw stones. He was not ashamed to be called their brethren. Let's skip to verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus, as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. As you sit where you sit, and as I stand where I stand, Jesus Christ understands the battles we fight. I'm not sure he understands why we continue to fight those battles without his help. But he understands the battles themselves because he fought them in human flesh. 
Verse 16 of Hebrews 2. For verily he took not in, on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Wherefore in all things. What does the word all exclude? Nothing. In all things it behooved him. It was right. It was becoming of him. The young lady who gave me the food. It behooved me to express profound gratitude. It's the right thing to do. It behooved him to be made like unto us in all things. Because if he hadn't been made like us in all things, we could have said in that one thing which he was different, in this area, Christ, you don't understand me. And God cannot allow a sinner to say that. You see, in the judgment, we cannot say, Jesus did not understand this part of my struggle. Nor can we say, God, there was something, there was something else you could have done for me. There was nothing else God could have done when he sent Christ. And there was no deeper level of identification Christ could have assumed when he came in human form. No one can say, Jesus, you don't understand me. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15. The Bible says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The infirmities meaning the weakness of the flesh. But was in most points tempted like as we are. Someone correct me. In all points. Now put some verses together. Chapter 2 verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. In how many things? In all things. Put that with Hebrews 4 verse 15. He was in how many points? All points. Is that a partial identification? Can Jesus understand what you feel? You answer me. Yes. 100%? Yes. That is why he can be a merciful and faithful high priest because he passed the same road. Verse 18 of Hebrews 2. For in that he himself hath what? Suffered. Being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. Let me pause on suffered being tempted at 20 minutes to 8. When was the last time any of us suffered as we tried to resist a temptation? If you and I have not experienced suffering... In resisting temptation, it is because we have not resisted. No, that's true. As you resist, the devil intensifies his work. And as you resist, he has, to feel the full force of a temptation, you must resist it. Don't listen to Oscar Wilde. He said the only way to deal with the temptation is to yield. Listen to Jesus Christ. He suffered having been tempted. And the only reason he suffered is because he resisted and he resisted unto blood. When he was tempted in the garden to turn back, 
Luke chapter 22, verse 41. Luke 22, reading from verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, knelt down and prayed, saying, Lord, if it be possible, if thou be willing, let this come pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He couldn't depend on the disciples. They were sleeping. Let me pause. Can Christ depend on you? Don't answer me. Just think. He could not depend on those disciples. He asked them to pray with me. And they slept. There are people in church sleeping now with their eyes open. There are leaders of the church who are asleep while the horrors of Calvary are only minutes and moments away and we're asleep. But God in His mercy wants to wake us up. The next verse says, There appeared an angel unto Him from heaven, strengthening Him. Now why did Jesus need an angel from heaven, strengthening Him? Because He was under the severest temptation to turn back. We tend to think the suffering on the cross was the worst Jesus ever felt. Let me suggest the suffering in the garden was the worst. Men had been crucified before and men were crucified after. There's no record of any man in Bible times who sweat great drops of blood. And being in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. He was under pressure to turn back. When was the last time I resisted the temptation to the point that I sweat great drops of blood? Why am I stressing this? Because some people unjustly accuse God of giving Jesus Christ an edge. He had no edge. His situation was worse than ours in the sense that he was more severely tempted than you and I could ever be tempted. But the glorious news is, the power that brought him through that severe temptation, severe beyond definition, that power is available to you and to me tonight. You don't have to make an appointment to see God as you've got to make one to see me tonight now. The same power. How many of you have ever heard of Ellen White? Raise your right hand quickly. In case you're embarrassed, quick, I'm done. All right. Ellen White writes, I don't recall the precise location. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Jesus displayed no qualities. And for those of you who don't know who Ellen White is, you're maybe not an Adventist or you're an Adventist, you don't know. That's not strange. She was a woman in the history of our church. She was born in 1827, died in 1915, served the church 70 years in the role of a prophet. And the position of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is she was as much a prophet as Isaiah or Jeremiah. Amen. I'm waiting for someone to keel over with shock. <laughs> she was a prophet as much as Jeremiah. Her writings are not in the Bible. They're not of the Bible. But her revelations were as this from the same source. She said, Jesus displayed no qualities. Quarter to eight had no powers that we cannot have if we are as submitted to the Father as He was. You see, that's the problem. It's not that Jesus had an edge. He had no edge. His edge is ours. His edge was submission. 
I don't mean submission on Sabbath. I mean submission 24 hours a day. That's why he said, I can of mine own self do nothing. If Jesus were to apply to medical school today, if this was the time in history when he came, he would have applied because he knew clearly from the Father that's what the Father wanted him to do. Is that why you applied? If Jesus had applied to do graduate work in family counseling or family therapy, as I saw the signs, I was wandering in Griggs Hall this morning looking for Risley Hall. And I saw all these signs, family this, family that, family the next. If he had chosen that department, would he have done it because that's what he heard brings the biggest salary or would he have chosen it because that's what the father wanted for him? That's what I call dependence. What it is you want, that's what I do. Now, if we try that, we will see multiplied miracles that will leave us dizzy, but dizzy with delight. Because that was God's original plan. You see, if the creator makes a creature, the automatic interaction between the two, or from the creature to the creator, is plain and simple dependence. Because Christ not only created, he sustains. If we would depend on the power upon which Jesus Christ depended, we would experience victory in our lives. We would experience a change of perspective. We would see the world differently. That which appears to us now would become repulsive. And that which we have abhorred, spiritual things, we will embrace. Can Jesus feel my pain? You answer me. Yes. Let me make some extreme statements. Sometimes one has to make extreme statements to make a point. You make an extreme statement, then you back off. I don't think I need to back off the ones I'm about to make. If Hitler, now we don't know if he confessed or not. We don't know. Let's assume he didn't. That's the general feeling. If he had said to Jesus, I am sorry for what I did, would Jesus have understood and forgiven him? I need more yeses. Yes. With all due respect, if you have a relative who survived the horrors of that thing, with all due respect, yes. Well, let me talk about me. If all those who participated in the slave trade were to say, Lord, we're sorry, would God have forgiven them? Yes. Would Jesus have understood the nature of the hand that led them to do that? Yes. We must not restrict the ability of Jesus Christ to understand us. Just because we have a restricted imagination. Now what are you struggling with? That no one on earth understands. I don't need to know. All I know is you're struggling with something. I don't know what it is. You may write it on your decision card which you have, which I want you to take out now quietly. I want you to write something. 
And I take these scars very seriously. And God is my judge as I speak. He's my witness. I cannot lie. Or I should say I'm not lying. If you don't have one, raise a hand. We'll get you one. Please don't be so sophisticated that you don't need one. Ten minutes to eight, I'll let you out at eight o'clock or before. If you are struggling with something and you really need Jesus Christ to give you the power to overcome, I want you to write on that card, J for Jesus, or for overcome, I'll understand. J for Jesus, or for overcome. Write on that card. I want to reassure you, I pray over those cards night and day. I didn't say that to get an applause. I said it to reassure you that I'm being as sincere as I possibly can. I take those cards and I present them to Jesus, spread out on my bed, that he can read them. Like Hezekiah laid out that letter in the temple before God in Isaiah 37 verse 14. If there's something you're struggling with, it may be you have struggled with it for years. And you'll say tonight, God, the power you gave Jesus to overcome, I want some of that. I want all of it. You put J for Jesus and O for overcome. On that card, I want to pray for you. One other thing I want you to write. If you are grateful to God for sending Jesus as one of us to understand us, so that we can take any problem to him, any problem at all. And he understands if you are grateful for that. I want you to write a big G on that piece of paper. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, We love him because he first loved us. That's the great law of reciprocity. And so because of what he did in sending Jesus, I am grateful, I love him, I put a G. On that card, G for grateful, G for God. Seven minutes to eight, we will be done. You're putting two notations on your card. One, the same power God gave to Jesus to overcome. You want that power. You're right, J for Jesus or for overcome. Two, you're grateful and I'm grateful that God sent Jesus Christ. A sympathetic, understanding, compassionate Savior. We put G for grateful. And I'll pray over those cards. Meaning I'll pray over your names. That God will do what you would like Him to do in your life. And I believe in my heart, all of us, regardless of our external bravado, there isn't a man or a woman under the sound of my voice who earnestly desires to burn in hell. Not one. 
So I know deep in your heart and deep in mine, we would like to live victorious lives. We really do. We are frustrated by our constant failures. We really are frustrated. But with Jesus Christ, there's power to bring an end to that record of frustration. I say it from my heart. We have to learn to hold on to Jesus. Like Jacob held on to him and would not let go. Even when God said, let me go, he said, no. There's a, the only time to say no to God is when he tests us by saying, let me go. We must say no. Then we become overcomers with God and with men. And our names are changed from Jacob to Israel. You're writing J and O. Father, give me the power you gave to Jesus, J, to overcome O. Father, I am grateful, G, that you sent Jesus who can identify with my weaknesses and can give me the strength. G for grateful, the greatest gift in the history of the cosmos is the gift of Jesus Christ. How many of you love Jesus? Can I see your right hand? Yes. He wants to see. Yes, he can read your mind, but he wants to see. God has a book of remembrance. He just recorded every raised hand. And when you finish marking the cards, we have ushers at the exit with containers. I just want you on your way out to drop the card in the container. That's all I ask. We're about to pray. I want to know first, is there anyone here this evening who desires special prayer? Raise your hand. Special. Not just general. I'm Special. I don't mean you have the sniffles. I mean special prayer. You raise your hand. I don't like these, everyone raising hand for everything. That's not what I want. Special prayer. Raise your hand. If it is that special, get up quickly and come right here. Fast. Getting close to 8 and I want to finish at 8, so you come. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. We can never pray enough. God bless you. God bless you. And when I say God bless you, that's a three-word prayer with my eyes open. God bless you. Special prayer. God is looking down, the sun is looking, the spirit is with us, and so are the angels. There is no safer place than where God's presence is. Somebody say amen. amen. There is no safer place. This is where we can lay down our pretenses, lay down our intellectualism without laying down our common sense, lay down our position, lay down our status, and be one in the presence of a living God who came down as low as he could to lift us as high as he could. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, and those back there, would you kindly stand with us so we're one in heart and mind. Our loving Father in heaven, we come into your presence tonight because your word has touched our hearts. Like a needle, your word has pricked us, it has moved us, and Father, we've come to say that we need some of that power. We need all of that power that Jesus had through dependence on the Father. 
Lord, we are not in and of ourselves able to resist the devil. We need power from on high. And we come confessing our weakness. We come confessing we have not trusted you as we should. And we say, Lord, publicly, we're sorry and we apologize to the God of heaven and earth. And we ask in the name of Jesus who loves us and proved it by dying and rising for our sake. That you, Father, would give us victory over that which has overthrown us and tripped of all these years. Please, Lord, hear us and give us that power. Break us down and then lift us up that we might be saved. And for those of us standing at the back, Lord, bless all of your children. We need you, Father. We need you. Open our eyes to understand that we are in perilous times and spiritual things should be our uncontested priority. Hear this humble prayer. Bless my brothers and sisters. Bless their families. Bless their health. Bless their businesses. Bless their education. Protect them from harm and danger. Bring them back tomorrow morning. I thank you for them. And based on your word in John 15, 12, I love them not just because you commanded it, but because they are one with me. Please, Father, look after them. Watch over us tonight. Wake us up tomorrow, I pray, to do your will and to bring glory to your name. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. And for his sake, let all God's people say, Amen and Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Sleep well. Come back tomorrow to this place to hear more of God's word.